0: Well, hello and welcome back to another exciting edition of the Shiny Developer Series. My name is Eric Nance and as always, I am so thrilled that you are watching us from wherever you are around the world. And if you have seen the back catalog of the episodes, you know that one of the common themes I have for the Shiny Developer Series is not just the tooling of Shiny itself and the ecosystem of the packages, it's also the application of Shiny in very high profile projects, building production applications, and sometimes building tooling to help support those production applications. And we have a wonderful guest on for this episode to share their experience in working with Shiny in production across a multitude of different clients and industries. So it is my pleasure to welcome to episode 23, Pedro Silva. Pedro, how are you doing today? Hi Eric, Uh,
1: doing great, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, so um, for our listeners that may not be as familiar with you, um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to learning R and also how you uh, discovered Shiny?
1: Uh, Sure, so um, I actually started as a programmer about 10 years ago. Uh, I did a lot of different work in uh, big companies, uh, heavy, heavy software development in C-sharp, Java, that kind of stuff. I, I kind of got tired a bit out of it, uh, eventually switched to web development, where uh, I was actually active for uh, four or five years, more or less. Uh, and this was actually uh, about my, my only work until um, three years ago when I actually found uh, Shiny. Uh, actually through through my current uh, company uh, to, to the company where w- with who I'm working with uh, right now epsilon uh, they were looking for someone that had a very strong web background, uh, a lot of UI ux experience uh, so I kind of just at this point I had no idea what shiny was uh, I kind of just slowly got into it uh, seemed really interesting and for the last three years it's basically been my my whole work life.
0: Very cool. I do remember Discovering Shiny in its very beginning, and I was hooked right away, and it was a different time back then. We were all kind of learning together, but I know that once I got into it, I could see how valuable it was uh, for my projects. So you mentioned that you're now working at Absalon. Maybe you could tell us a bit about Absalon and um, kind of their role and some of the things that Absalon does for the clients.
1: Uh, Sure. So. I think the main focus of of Epsilon itself is, is shiny. So uh, we do we we work with clients from basically every every industry. Uh, there's logistics, transportation, pharma, academia, governmental, uh, even small startups. Uh, there's I think shiny has has a a place in uh, any company, any any industry. Uh, there's there's actually a lot that you can you can uh, improve when it comes to your processes, uh, even just to empower decision makers. I think this this is one one thing that Shiny does uh, quite well. Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, we I think 95% of of the work that Epsilon does is is related to Shiny. There's a tiny bit of machine learning as well. Uh, that's that we have we have a small team that that works there, um, and most of this is either uh, creating the dashboards themselves or helping people create the dashboards or uh, sometimes even training so we do we do workshops we do uh, just help getting projects jump started uh, there's if it involves shiny uh, it's probably something we all we can help you with
0: very cool and you mentioned a lot of things that resonate with me um, I'm just curious right off the bat, Respect to helping maybe groups train with shiny. Do you come with the expectation that they're already pretty proficient with R, or have you had to train people that even didn't know R very much but just started diving into shiny head first? Uh,
1: I think the typical um, the, the the typical person in, in these workshops are someone that does work with shiny in their uh, with with R in their in their daily life. Uh, Maybe they're trying to do the the jump to Shiny, or maybe this is something that just empowers the the department and the the company itself. Uh, I don't think we've had any any workshop where we were uh, actually teaching R from scratch. Uh, Usually you kind of expect that um, there's some data science knowledge there. And R is one of the tools that they use, uh, but they're not either not very familiar with Chinese or they want to just bring it to the next level. Uh, maybe maybe work on things that they they don't usually work. Uh, so things like UI, UX, uh, maybe even uh, rethink a bit the way that they structure the projects. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot uh, of different levels of seniority there, uh, but uh, we also usually in those trainings we also kind of um include a bit of all the technologies that can help you with shiny so things like css with as uh, css javascript um even html itself i think it's it's a, a really good uh, really good skill to have when it comes to shiny um so yeah basically anything that somehow connects to shiny uh usually people with with the data science background
0: very cool and um you, you mentioned kind of the the in underpinnings of shiny interacting with css html as a whole and, and javascript that is something that even i personally have been using shiny since the beginning and and i've gone a pretty long way without having to know a whole lot about under the hood but i kind of reached a point pretty recently where i to take my skill set to the next level i'm now starting to to basically level up my knowledge of the, the HTML concepts, the CSS, things that I'm sure you have a wealth of experience with, but as someone who just started with R and never had web development background, it's amazing how far I did get without it, but there's just some pieces that I've got to start diving into to meet some new requirements that maybe my uh, customers have. And so I'm actually doing some active learning online as we as we speak and um, I'll be sharing my learnings of that with, with, the, with the world, if you will. Um, but certainly I'm doing my best to try and get, get to another level. So it's definitely important. And once you reach a certain point in your kind of Shiny development life.
1: I would I would even say that this speaks of the quality of Shiny because, yes, uh, like you said, it, it took you. You managed to get really far without knowing any of these things and i think this is uh even i personally when i when i first started playing around with shiny i had no idea what was under the hood uh, <laughs> all i knew is that uh there's there's a set of functions and if i call them they somehow generate this this uh, application and uh, you always have that moment where things look like black magic yes and uh, for me in the beginning it was exactly this i as i got a bit more familiar and as i started even digging into the the codes the the actual code from shiny mm-hmm. um you can you kind of unravel the black magic and you, you you kind of start seeing ah this is actually just generating html css javascript there's actually uh one of the one of the parts of of the whole shiny framework engine is is actually a lot of javascript there there's a lot of things happening there, that uh, because of 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 the quality and the, the level of abstraction in Shiny, for most people, these are not even things that you're going to consider at all. Right. Uh, but for really advanced developers, this means that you can hack your way into the the, 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 the framework itself. Maybe you can uh, learn a bit more about what, what functions exist in, on the JavaScript side, how can you actually um, h- how you can um, leverage some of these of these uh, things to your advantage? Uh, and it's the same with with CSS. So because we are generating HTML uh, and javascript, we can we can just hook in even more CSS. we can we can kind of assume. Uh, we can kind of work on the assumption that this is a web page, and we can leverage all the things that that the webpage actually offers you.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So getting into kind of some more of the uh, consulting side of it, um, you mentioned there's a, a wealth of different industries that Absalon and, and yourself have been supporting. I'm kind of curious as you look at kind of the whole collection of, of those projects, Do you see some kind of common themes or requirements that clients are interested in as you develop these, uh, production applications for them?
1: Uh, I think, I think, um, so I think a big one is, uh, migrating from Excel. Uh, so Mm -hmm. they have some kind of business process that relies heavily on Excel and they want to either make it faster, uh, make it easier or they even just want to make it more uh, reachable to the rest of the company. So they want to actually move away from having an Excel and have something a bit more interactive, something that they can easily uh, share, something that they can play around with. And I think uh, Shiny really fits this niche. Um, at the same time, there's also clients that just have um, uh, proof of concept projects. so. They, they did some data wrangling, they did some some modeling. they did some some R heavy stuff. Uh, maybe they even have already a prototype of a shiny dashboard where they kind of showcase a specific feature, but they just want more. So they, they want to, they want to either uh, scale this up because they have a very big number of users that can actually use this or they want to just make it uh, make it a better experience. Make it a bit more refined. Uh, all of these are quite common issues uh, that, that uh, our clients usually uh, have that we can help with. Um, and then you have your odd, uh, very specific case. But uh, again, each company, uh, I, like we said before, uh, Shiny can help uh, a lot of these processes make them make them a lot a lot easier, a lot more streamlined. So I, I think the sky's the limit yes. when it comes to actually using using shiny. if If you have a process, if you have some data and you want to do something with that data, either view it, modify it, or uh, uh, or actually make it publicly available, I think shiny could be uh, a way to to do this. Absolutely. And um,
0: the other common theme that I've had recently, is integrating Shiny and by proxy R itself with these different backends or different data sources or different, maybe even AI ML pipelines or APIs. There's lots of ways that Shiny can be a front end to using these services very easily through like a point and click type interface, but it does take a lot of extra care to make sure that you're, you know, you're first of all, you're kind of respecting maybe API limits or you're making sure that your database queries are sanitized and that it's a very uh, streamlined approach from the user to get to these services without them having to get into the weeds of modifying queries themselves or modifying API calls. It's definitely an art to it. Um, I won't say I'm the best at it yet, but I've definitely been integrating Shiny with things like AWS and other um, tech that has been a lot of interesting learning, lots of uh, pitfalls sometimes, but I think that's an industry reality is that a lot of times these data are coming from maybe some complicated sources, and you sometimes have to offload the processing to a different analytics backend. there's a lot of management going
1: on not just within the shiny process itself yeah definitely and uh on, on that topic i feel like there's uh, one thing that shiny uh, kind of has a bad reputation for is uh, this is just a front end for r this is just mm-hmm. we, we do some we do some uh we have some data we loaded some data and uh i don't know there's there's gigabytes of data. Of course, we can make a dashboard out of this, but this is going to be very slow. Right. Going to take, uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of work to actually put this online, or a lot of resources. Yes. And like you said, there's, there's, um, there's other systems, other languages that are very good at doing something. Uh, a good example is, uh, I think the simplest example is is a database. Uh, databases are things that exist a very long time they're very good at keeping a lot of data they're very good at querying that data extremely fast uh connecting these with shiny is is pretty much trivial right now with some of the packages that that we have um uh, the same with uh you talked about for example sanitizing queries there's uh, packages like dbi for example these, yes. these really help with uh with giving you some tools that let you obstruct a bit from from the the database itself uh, and simplify the process here but uh, the great thing is that because shiny is just uh, a, a server running somewhere uh, this does mean that you can pretty much do any kind of request that you want so uh even even accessing things like rest apis maybe you have maybe you have a different system that is very good at doing something as long as it's Uh, Reachable as long as you know what what the format is of the of the data coming out. uh, You can usually integrate it with your shiny application. And um, uh, things that come comes uh, come to mind are, uh, for example, uh, Flask endpoints. So you have you have a a small you have a, a bit of code that's running somewhere, and you can and it's very good at doing what it does. So from Shiny, you can just query that endpoint specifically and just get the results. And whenever you need it, uh, you can just ask for it again. Uh, Maybe this is something that you cache. Maybe this is something that you you only need once uh, per user. But in general, integrating it with Shiny is something that you can do on the server side. Uh, Like you said, offloading can also be very tricky. Uh, I think this is also. Partially because of how uh, R is single-threaded, so it's not right. not something that you can parallel process uh, very much, and definitely these other languages, these other services that that you can integrate uh, really play play a role there. Absolutely,
0: um, yep. It, it tells a, a complete story then when you're able to make these products that maybe somebody had to build these ad hoc tools for like each one of them and couldn't really connect them together, but but yeah, I have many situations now where shiny is not just the front end to a simple R analytic process. There's a whole lot more going under the hood. But when the clients or the customers don't even realize it, that means I did my job. It's like it's abstracted away. I did all the hard work. They get to reap the benefits of it, and hopefully they're
1: happy with it. <laughs> Sometimes we have picket if, requirements. If, uh, <laughs> if the if the up if the up works, uh, no one says anything. If yes. something breaks, you're the first person to hear about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that, that happened recently too. So um, lots of refactoring had happened with that experience. Um, well, speaking of applications, um, one thing that I can definitely relate to is that obviously you're not going to be privy to share some of your actual client projects. But we did a little talking before the recording, and you've got a couple of cool demos on tap for us that demonstrate some of the principles you use and your robust Shiny development. So we can start diving into that.
1: I think a good starting point is my entry from the Shiny contest two years ago. So this was, uh, I think, the first public Shiny application that I actually did. My goodness. Uh,
0: This is your first one. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. uh, I actually. i. I decided to take a very. Um, I, I decided to go all out, so I, I wanted to see how far can I push the things that I know from uh, from web development into Shiny. So I wanted to make sure that everything was as unShiny as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so, in general, if you're not aware, uh, this is basically a small a small game. Uh, it's actually based on a different game that that uh, i was playing at the time when when this came out and uh it's basically the the idea is is that you want to kind of control you want to you're making decisions for the world and you have a few metrics that you want to keep uh up or at least balanced uh and the way you do this is you have these three different metrics that you actually want to to maintain so you can This is basically just a tutorial. So you can swipe these cards left or right to make a decision. (laughs) And depending on the side that you slide them to, uh, they will affect these metrics differently. And there's just a bit of an explanation. So as the game starts, uh, these are just randomly generated uh, queries, um, uh, strings. So this is actually, I actually have a, a massive spreadsheet with different templates and values that are then kind of interpolated using glue which became one of my favorite packages oh me too uh, every shiny app i make
0: f- now uses glue it just makes yes, my life so much easier for this dynamic rendering uh
1: it's it's very reminiscent of uh, interpolation in javascript yes which is is something that i was definitely missing uh, until i found about uh, until i found out about glue cool. uh, so i kind of managed to use it here so, for, so Uh, If we can see, if we uh, take the card a bit to the left, this one is going to affect health, this one is going to affect the public opinion. So let's help the people. Uh, And there's a different one. Basically, no way. This one will affect more stuff. So you can kind of just try to make the decisions uh, to keep those, those metrics up. You can see that the background is actually a bit more dire now because one of the bars is almost empty and if we actually try to lose this so that we can let me see if i can that environment's stubbornly <laughs> hanging on <laughs> uh, i think i think this is oh i I, got, <laughs> I used the wrong one uh no no i think this one oh my god oh yeah you're, okay. you're, uh, you're almost okay, empty I managed, now yep. so uh basically when one of them one of these metrics actually reaches zero. You basically uh, lose the game. Uh, and there's a small out- outro of the afterlife <laughs> that it looks like you made a lot of people very angry. Uh, you're no longer in charge. And basically, you get a game over screen where you, it kind of tells you how many decisions you managed to make before before the end of the game. And then you can go back and uh, try it again. Wow. Uh, and more on the code side, you can see that none of this actually looks uh, like Shiny, So this was uh, very heavily based on uh, uh, NES inspired CSS framework. Yes. So all these fonts, all of these. Uh, even the the mouse pointer is actually something from there. So this was uh, actually my attempt at seeing. Okay, so we have we have some UI libraries, but is it possible to just add another framework and uh, because a lot of these UI frameworks actually are just CSS that expects a specific uh, HTML structure, this was pretty easy to achieve. So uh, I did have to build some some of those uh, HTML structures in uh, with R, uh, which you can do because you have access to every every type of uh, HTML tag that you want uh, under the tags um, uh, under the tags object uh, from shiny. So this is one of the, the the ways that I was able to kind of uh, reach this this level of uh, of uh, of UI. Uh, yeah, and if you want, you can actually look a bit into the code itself. Uh, there's a small disclaimer. So this was a long time ago. Uh, this was uh, two years ago when I actually <laughs> made this. But I think there's still some some really good lessons uh, coming out of this. So the first one is the actual structure. So uh, I'm a I'm a very big fan of having having this the of of using the the um, uh, up up directory from from shiny that just lets you kind of add an extra layer of, mm-hmm. of organization to your to your project. So in this case, we just have like a general up that's actually pointing to a specific directory. Sure. Uh, and then I also really like the, the whole global server UI. I think this is a really, a really elegant way. So global, everything that needs to happen before the app actually runs. Uh, UI, basically just the initial scaffolding of your of your application, and then server with all of your server logic. Um, I did a bit more of structuring uh, when it comes to to the actual code so i actually ended up with this data logic styles and uh, www so data is basically just the uh, like i mentioned there's a big spreadsheet with all of those options uh, all of those templates so this is just uh this is technically it's a google spreadsheet that gets downloaded whenever whenever there's some kind of update oh uh, cool th- this actually meant during development that i could just open the spreadsheet, do some changes, maybe add a few more values and and see if they were working. Nice. Uh, Then the logic is actually where most of the code lives. So I kind of opted by this uh, side. At at this time, I was fascinated with this idea of having uh, singleton managers for everything. Uh, So I kind of made managers for pretty much everything. And this is actually still something that I do quite often, which is encapsulating uh, the code not only in modules. In this case, uh, I was using Wahani modules. Uh, recently, I did switch to Box because uh, I think it's a bit better performance. So one of one of the biggest issues I had with Wahani is that uh, if you import the same module twice, you're actually importing the same code twice. Oh, okay. Uh, Box actually does this a uh, bit more, it, it actually does it slightly different where it caches the modules and always uses the same uh, the same uh, instance of that module so it doesn't actually need to, uh, to duplicate the code and box uh, is a yeah, package and-
0: that comes from your team at epsilon right
1: no 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 oh so, not okay uh, I'm actually I'm actually not sure who who built it but I'm okay. very happy that they did yeah yeah it sounds interesting <laughs> I'm about to check it out yeah uh, uh, but code-wise, they're they're both very similar. So you can import different different packages that you would like to have access uh, inside of this file. Mm-hmm. Everything else that is already uh, that your project actually uses, this module doesn't know about it. So this actually lets you um, debug a bit better. What are the the you can kind of debug one of these modules uh, independently because you know all the dependencies there literally just listed here so if if something is going wrong instead of having 20 packages to actually check you have maybe two or three
0: okay
1: uh and then you can export different. uh so the export is basically what becomes visible outside of this module which means that in this case it's just state manager and this state manager is an r6 class which is uh, another of the things that uh i think when People are developing in Shiny, there is a bit of this aversion to object-oriented programming, uh, simply because of how R is very functional in its nature. Uh, I do think that uh, object-oriented and R6 classes do have uh, a place when it comes to app development, simply because it lets you structure things uh, in a slightly different way. Um, So basically, there's this big r6 object that actually has uh all the different functions and it also has some reactive state uh, reactive list which uh one thing that i feel can get very tricky when you have very very large applications is managing the the reactivity uh, you can get like yes. very very complex reactive graphs i have learned <laughs> that the hard way absolutely yes. Uh, So I I usually, whenever I use modules, I try to encapsulate the reactivity to that module. So this means that the module itself has a state, which means that anything that is reactive inside of the module only plays around with this specific state. Uh, Anything from outside uh, will need to go through this state to actually get access to
0: it. You know, speaking of modules in this context of R6, Um, there's i'm not sure if you've seen this but there is an interesting package from some of my colleagues in the life sciences industry called tidy modules which kind of encapsulates a lot of this so i think a key theme i'm hearing as i talk to you and some others that are doing you know production-like development is that if you can if you can um, have a better understanding of how r6 works you can do some really slick things for managing the reactivity managing all the different Connections within your app. So that's like another area that I've gone all this time, never having to make my own R6 class for my production apps, but I've had to do a lot of hacks around the connections and managing all of the different parts going in and out. So it looks like R6 is something I'm going to have to invest in very soon.
1: Uh, so R7 is actually close ish. So, oh. uh, but I do, I do. Um I do think that looking into R6 is is a good idea. Okay. Uh even some of its predecessors. So R six is I think the closest you have with to true object-oriented programming uh when it comes to class definition. Uh, but there's also S3 and S4, which are still sure. used in uh in um in Shiny and in R2. Very cool. It, well it's, it's, also, it's great it's to see how you manage all of this. I, I haven't seen the code for this yet, this is nice. Uh, so uh, recently I did switch to having an even additional layer here where uh, I, I kind of try to make the UI and the server also part of this object. I don't think I have any, any example here. Oh, actually this, this module, for example, does it. So if we actually check the r6 class here Uh, not only does it have functions but it also has a ui and a server Mm. and this server is actually namespaced so this this takes advantage of the fact that you can namespace uh, specific inputs to being able to replicate them uh, through multiple modules so as you duplicate the module you will need to give an id to one module which means that you can have Multiple inputs with the same ID inside of that module, and right. they will still work. Right. Uh, so this this uh, this is something that I started doing very often, where uh, NAR6 just gives me, gives me like a nice wrapper that uh, I can just access all of the, the functionality from from the module itself, even if it's namespace. So in this case, there's a UI and a server, and there's probably somewhere another state uh i can see here an update state so um it, again it's been been quite quite some time since i wrote this code but i'm still quite proud of it and it, it did uh, it did uh very well in the contest so
0: yes I, um i remember very much i uh, seeing the results and i was blown away by, by what you have done here um and, and and coincidentally that same year was kind of one of the first times i put a non-kind of cookie cutter app in the public and that was my shiny lego mosaic maker um, which i actually just revamped a little bit for a webinar i was just recently on and when i looked at that old code i saw like a whole bunch of places where i was like oh i didn't know how to do that back then so i did a lot of refactoring um, for that but it's it's great to have kind of that development history as you start releasing these applications whether they're here in the public, or even for your work projects, that you can kind of go back to and go back in time and see. Okay, I was doing it this way first, but now I know this more efficient way. And lots of notes that I keep track of of the lessons I've learned
1: along the way. Uh, Git blame is a very fun thing, uh, especially <laughs> <Yes>. when you <laughs> especially when you're uh, complaining about a specific piece of code, and then you check who did it, and it was you two or three years right. ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, past me versus future me. There can be a bit of a difference there. Yep,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And outside of the, this, these modules and this um, this idea of uh, of encapsulating uh, another another thing that uh, I hinge heavily on this project was styling. Um, yes. So there was a lot of heavy CSS, a lot of uh, a lot of styling. And uh, at this time, I was actually uh very happy that our studio released sas as a, as a package right so, uh, for those that uh, aren't familiar uh, so css is is just a uh, a few different um statements that specify what a specific selector a specific element in the page uh, should look like uh, sas goes an extra step and lets you create these selectors in a more uh optimal way a more programmer programmer way of, of actually building these so it, it has it has the idea of variables it has the idea of loops it has a, the uh, idea of nesting so there there's this whole extra layer of um uh, of of tools that can help you build the css uh without actually having to build them one line by line which can be very tricky when you have uh, bigger bigger projects with a lot of different nested components and you want to specifically specify uh, one of them. Uh, so yeah, so one of the other things that uh, I used for this project was that SAS library, there's there's a bit of a structure here where, uh, so the, I, the, the way SAS works is that it lets you structure your code pretty much however you want and then it just you call a specific function. This function outputs one single file, and this is the file that actually go gets used by Shiny. Uh, so in this case, this means that there's this whole other level of organization that you can do in your code. So in this case, for example, I have uh, styling for cards, styling for the layout, for the map itself, for the different bars, uh, even for the models. This this lets you kind of organize things however you want. And for me, I feel like the more files, the better. Because if you can, if you can have, if you don't need to have a file with five hundred or one thousand lines, uh, in in two years you're going to run git blame and you're going to blame someone, and that someone is probably going to be you. Right. <laughs> uh, this this actually this actually lets you organize things in a way that it's much easier to know okay there's a problem in one of the cards yes and then you open the card and it's okay there's 140 lines this this is a bit more manageable than the thousands and thousands of lines that usually you have in a css file um it also lets you use uh, variables even though css also has this this uh, um this concept especially in recent years it's something that you can you can also use uh this means that as you're writing you can uh, base variables on other variables and you can then have a nice uh, little config file that has all the information about the main colors of the application maybe maybe here i'm using the maybe in one component you're using the main background color maybe in a different computer uh, a different component you're using a slightly lighter version but now instead of having 10 different variations you can actually just do those variations on the fly so changing changing this value would cascade down all the, the different styles that are actually using this as a variable and it also lets you simplify the process a bit uh, if you are looking for more of a r solution for this uh, bslib also recently came out uh, bslib also heavily so under the hood uh, this is pretty much what bslib is doing so mm-hmm. It lets you set up different colors, which will set up different variables, which will eventually compile to a, a single file that uh, gets added to your Shiny application with with all of the, the styles taken care of. Uh, if you're looking for an easy way to style applications, this is actually the way to go.
0: Absolutely. Okay. And um, actually, we had a great conversation with uh, Carson Sievert uh, a while back. On the last dev series episode to talk about the the journey to bslib and the underpinnings with sass and i think now definitely as opposed to when i started with shiny it's a great time to get into kind of the concept of style in your applications especially if you gently onboarding with it with bslib and then maybe if you have to customize it further then we can extend it with more of the underpinnings of like what you're doing here but now it's become much easier to concisely structure the theming and style of applications, so that you can pull off just like what you've done here something that absolutely no one on earth would ever think was a shiny app unless they knew what you were doing. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I'm I'm pretty sure that eventually you get to disconnect from server of <laughs> message. Yeah. So this is this is probably the biggest tell. That it's <laughs> the giveaway, having, right? <laughs> any obligation? Yeah. <laughs> We can't have uh, yeah, everything. But, uh, even even on the, the topic of um, starting with BSLib and then slightly changing it, uh, I think it's also important to mention that um, you can always do sli- a few more changes. So even you if bet. even if BSLib isn't really enough for what you want, but it gets you 90% of the way, uh, you can always add a bit more Sass, a bit more CSS in, to those, ex- those less 10%. Uh, with with a bit of custom styling. Exactly.
0: It's just a lot more manageable when you get that majority of it taken care of for you and then you just add a little you know icing on top of the styling cake. Um, but I remember my first um, exposure with these customized styles was my my uh, more fun entries to this year's shiny contest where I styled a racing dashboard in the theme of the game itself that we were playing together and just had to get the right CSS colors. But then with BS Web, it was super easy to inject all that. And it really demystified this idea that at, say, even my, my apps at the day job, I don't have to make them look exactly the same. I can give them personality without having to go to a 15 week web development design course. I mean, I can still need to learn some of those concepts, but it's much more attainable now from the R side of things.
1: Uh, and this also, um, so I, I think it's, it, it's, it's important to know that all of these UI packages, uh, it doesn't mean that you you need to stay with, with the way they look. Right. Uh, uh, what what we said about bslib and about adding this custom style, I think this is valid for every UI package. So if, yes. if you find something that gets you closer or closeish to what you want, and then they need to add a bit custom styling, this is fine. Uh, I think one one thing that uh, clients also sometimes come to us is uh, we we really like to use this UI package, but it doesn't really fit uh, our company branding. Hmm. Uh, So what you can do is you can actually build the package based on that package uh, that has all of the components actually styled the way that the the brand guidelines uh, dictate, and again, this is something that, of course, you could do this from scratch. But if you have something that gets you close enough, our uh, packages are just things that you can use and evolve and make a tiny bit better and a tiny bit better. And I think this is also one of the great strengths of R, and I think this is also why shiny is going to go far because it's uh, there's a lot of there's this open source um collaboration, there's there's a lot of people that actually do something and just offer it to the community and right. other people build things on top of them. And even Shiny itself is built on a, a collection of different packages that eventually came together to make this 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 framework. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised is surprised if somewhere down the line we just take one out and replace it with a different one because it does something slightly slightly different or better or a bit more refined uh it's it's the building blocks so of ours
0: it sure is yeah and and this ecosystem has just grown leaps and bounds since it first started and i can pick and choose dashboard packages i can pick and choose little individual widgets that do like network diagrams or interactive plots it's just more of like i'm a i've used this analogy before i'm i'm a chef i'm building a bunch of ingredients into a cohesive Dish and everyone's going to be a little different, but I get to pick and choose from all sorts of different tooling here.
1: Uh, Also, uh, things like HTML widgets, for example, this this really helps bringing. So, like we mentioned before, under the hood, there's a lot of CSS, a lot of JavaScript, a lot of HTML. Uh, This actually means that we can leverage these in shiny. So, HTML widgets is a great example of with just tiny bit of configuration, you can actually use. A javascript library and rify it uh, a bit to, to actually make it easy to use uh, and i expect more and more of these to, to actually pop out because there's there's a lot of wheels already built that that we don't need to do again uh, right. so all it takes is a bit of effort or uh one person with a specific issue that can be solved by one of those packages and i definitely uh encourage anyone that that has to go through that process to uh consider releasing it on Crm as part of their uh, of their finalizing the, the the journey
0: yeah, there's been a lot of great widgets released out there, and I use many of them in my production apps and then the key is just kind of networking it with the backend processes and networking it with maybe custom UIs in front of them if I need to. Um, so I've been starting to get a little bit into the weeds of like doing custom input bindings that kind of do a little bit on top of these widgets. It's still not natural yet, but once I get a little better uh, mastery of it, I feel like then I can extend maybe certain pieces of these widgets as I need to.
1: Uh, in this project, I did do something similar. Very so cool. We do have uh, a big dependency added here, which is HammerJS. And no? this is basically just a a gesture library. So the fact that you you can actually um, move the cards side to side, this isn't this isn't something that I built from scratch. This is a functionality that there is a JavaScript library for it. Very uh, cool. And it's it's slowly reloading, so you can go back here. So basically, this is an entire framework when it comes to gestures, when it comes to pinching things and uh, sliding things. Uh, and I actually did something very similar to what you're talking about, where I built this um, this piece of JavaScript code. That somewhere here in the middle, there is a custom message, and uh, I didn't go the the full shiny bindings route. At this time, I was still very, very much afraid of shiny bindings oh, okay. because they were they were something that I wasn't fully familiar with. Uh, but when you know exactly what you want uh, to to send to shiny or get some information from shiny uh, custom messages is actually a very a very easy way to, to also do it so uh, basically the way it works is that you can register a, a bit of JavaScript uh, a JavaScript function as a handler for a custom message uh, and then you give it some ID and from the shiny side, as you, as you have a session dollar sign send custom message and this message will have an ID that to, will have two, two arguments. The first one is the ID, the second one is some data uh, and it will be basically be caught by whatever function you, you define as the handler for that ID. And then you can kind of just do it from the JavaScript side. Uh, in the same way if you also have send how was it? there's a there's also somewhere here and not very sure what it is, but it it was a very big piece of code uh, <laughs> well, I think it kind of shows the idea that sure we can we can um basically from from. Um, from, Java, from the Shiny side, you just get access to that send custom message. Uh, from, from the JavaScript side, you actually have the add custom handler and you have the and set input value. Yeah, set input value. So, set yes. input value uh, basically lets you push a value to the list of inputs on the server side, which means that when you do input dollar sign, whatever name you use to do the set input value uh, you can actually read that that uh, value on the server So you can kind of do this two-way communication and um, again you can use something like shiny bindings and I think this is very very useful for uh, modular widgets so if it's something that you know you're going to use quite often or if you're building something that is eventually going to become a package. This is definitely the way to go. Uh, if you just want to add some simple interaction to your Shiny application by by having a couple of message, messages going back and forward, uh, custom messages is also something that you can look into.
0: Absolutely. And my first foray into this from a more of a public-facing app perspective is I was wrapping. I was using a widget produced by the the folks at the Dreamers team on an interactive calendar, um, HTML widget. um, Toast UI is the package it comes from. And I wanted to make it so that I could see when the user clicks on a specific entry in the calendar what the body of that entry is from the JavaScript side of things. So I did like a little connection with the custom message handling and, and binding another input to it. So then I can make the rest of the app react to the specific entry that was clicked and show like a little um, video that that person produced in a past stream. So I remember it was very difficult to figure out the right syntax to go back and forth, but once you get over that initial hump, like you said, it's a really powerful technique to bring that custom interactions in um, that feedback loop uh, to different ways than what comes out of the box.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, one thing that you need to keep in mind is that this this doesn't really uh, stop the, the 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 browser from doing anything. So uh, mm. this is especially useful for things like logging, for example. If you want to log specific actions, uh, you can send these these messages back to Shiny and then continue with whatever code you're doing in the frontend. Sure. Um, the same with uh, the other way around so if you send a message from shiny it's just going to send the message and then continue so it's very it, it's not a full integration between the the graphs so it, you can kind of you can kind of imagine that there's a graph in the server and there's a graph in the browser uh these are kind of independent uh so uh, i i do hope that you're, you're a bit careful with um making sure that they stay synchronized Absolutely. Uh, because if not, if not, you can always have some misstates with uh, with doing too much in the front end, but not passing enough information to Shiny, or the other way around, uh, and you end up with I don't know, maybe something that's selected that shouldn't be selected, or maybe you're missing a, a an initial value for something because you're you're using the custom messages to actually set it up. Uh, I don't think this is usually a problem. Uh, but it is something that you that is worth keeping in mind uh, when when w- working with these. Uh, but I do recommend playing around with them because it it kind of multiplies what you can do with shiny quite a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, with great power comes, great responsibility, as, as the saying goes. And you can do almost anything you want when you start getting a handle on these these different feedback uh, connections with the JavaScript process and the and the R
1: process under the shiny hood, so to speak. And uh, I still think that it is a very big ask uh, to ask um, typical R users to learn JavaScript uh, for some of this uh, more custom functionality. Sure. Uh, Some things are just there's just no R or Shiny version of them. So right now, the only option is to either make a package for it or just do it by hand using JavaScript. I do think that even if you're scared of JavaScript, if you're not familiar with it, even learning just a tiny bit is enough to completely change the way you you maybe not completely change the way, but to to actually add a bit more of extra value to your shiny application.
0: Yes, uh, it's literally the journey I'm on right now. And the good news is, is that we have some great resources that have either just become available or soon to be like more readily available. With learning JavaScript from the R or the shiny user perspective, not written for like a a pro CS uh, grad or whatever. These are written. You've done R work. You've done some shiny work. Now you just want to get that extra leveling up. So I mentioned these in previous episodes. But uh, John Cohen is writing the JavaScript for R book, which is in my bookshelf right behind me somewhere. And um, David um is writing the outstanding shiny UI which talks about some great uses of JavaScript and customized shiny UIs, much like what you've been doing here. Um, so what I'm actually going through that book on a more detail now to kind of get myself a good foundation so that I can start doing customizations like this um, in the near future. So it's an exciting time to dive into it, where when I first started this, it was very... uh. Uh, I want to say it was it was very uh, intimidating to try and dive into that world
1: back then. Uh, also, one thing that when it comes to learning uh, JavaScript, uh, one one library that is sometimes criticized because it's 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 uh, a bit it adds a bit of uh, it adds another dependency to your project is jQuery. So jQuery is is basically a, um, a JavaScript set of functions that are very specific uh, that let you write less javascript because they they have very specific functions to do something right so an example um and this is something that uh, when people are learning javascript usually are told to avoid because no no you should learn basic javascript because you should learn base javascript because it will give you uh, good foundations good uh, a good starting point but uh, one of the details about Chinese that, by default, it already adds this as a dependency. Yes. So even if you you just want to learn uh, very basic functions uh, that, uh, even if you just want to learn like a set of functions to get you started, even just looking at the most popular jQuery functions is already something that you can you can look at, um, and this is, I think, the twenty top jQuery functions are probably things that uh, is already enough to to get you started with a lot of uh, a lot of concepts. That if you're using base JavaScript, it's probably a bit more tricky. So you need to to know a lot of different concepts. the The way jQuery works, it's it hinges heavily on CSS selectors. Mm-hmm. So if you have if you have some CSS uh, background, or if you if you don't, this is also a good opportunity to learn a bit about how CSS selectors look like. But knowing them is enough to actually select a specific element from the page. And then there's a few, a few functions that, uh, uh, a few functions in jQuery that just get you started. So uh, things like changing, changing some style uh, using uh, JavaScript or adding and removing classes in, in jQuery. This is just a function that yes. you can call. Uh, in pure JavaScript, this does require understanding a few more concepts
0: yeah actually it's very timely you say that because in my uh, live stream that i did last night at the time of what i'm recording now i was playing with the html tools package which has these jquery ways of finding the tag or finding a specific id and then manipulating the style maybe completely ripping out a tag and really traversing that almost like a and it kind of reminded me of like a D dplyr-like syntax. You go here, you do something here. You can even go back up to the top, do a do number search. It was fascinating to finally see how that works. But yeah, jQuery, I think, is something I'm going to be paying more attention to, especially when you start wanting to stylize individual inputs that are close to what you want. But it's just like that little bit extra that you want to put on there. So very powerful technique.
1: Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely. Yeah. Um, so this has been fascinating to kind of dive into the nuts and bolts of this. I do have a few kind of more general questions as we, as we start to wrap up here. But um, I often work with, with teammates that are actually pretty good at prototyping with Shiny. They can get like a minimal and viable product, if you will, that gets leadership very excited about something. Maybe it's a new data pipeline. Maybe it's a new way to present output. But then comes the step where they're going to be asked, OK, we like it. Now you got to get this in production. So from your experience, what are some techniques that kind of ease that transition of a, you know, what may be a prototype that, that at the time they weren't sure it was going to be in a production usage, but getting to that level? Um, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, I think, but maybe uh, from your perspective, what are some techniques that you that you've used to help that transition?
1: Uh, Yeah, so like I mentioned, uh, I think modules is a very important thing. Uh, But this also kind of touches a bit on uh, the project structure. So uh, what's your what's your plan to actually structure the code? So Mm -hmm. uh, very often, very often when you build a, a POC, you have one script or maybe maybe two scripts and these are very very long scripts, and uh, that's it. Yes. Uh, so I feel like the when it comes to uh, to switching to production from from that, let's say we ha- you have a one thousand uh, line script up dot r that runs a dashboard. Uh, how do you actually approach this? I think the the first the first thing to to is is um, to actually realize that you're probably going to need to pay some technical debt right from the beginning so you're going to need to invest a bit on refactoring that code uh maybe maybe you want to use golem as as a a framework to do this so but this will give you some uh, this will give you some structure for the for the project itself maybe you want to keep it without without golem and just have like a shiny application you can do something like like uh, uh, like tiny decisions, the, the project we were going over, uh, the important thing is break down that file into manageable chunks. Right. Uh, after you have this, you can start introducing the concept of modules. So maybe you want to encapsulate parts of the code. Uh, maybe you have some duplicated code that you, you want to kind of extract into functions and use those functions instead. Uh, you, kind of pay this technical debt early in in the process so that you actually build a strong base that as the project grows and you're slowly starting to to go to to production uh maybe you start adding tests uh maybe you start looking a bit more into the resources that the application is is uh, using uh make sure that you use something like rmf to kind yes. of snapshot your your um your environment and uh, if you're not familiar with rm this is it's basically a package that lets you uh, basically create a manifesto of all the packages and versions that you're using uh, including the R version and this means that you can when your computer suddenly dies and the person next to you has to uh start continue working on the project they will be able to replicate the exact same setup you had right without actually uh without actually having to to guess all the functions and uh all, all the versions of the the packages you had yes uh, this is super powerful uh it's you literally don't have an excuse it's on RStudio studio i d e when you start a new project there's a checkbox yes. use <laughs> use r m for this project uh while you're had it also take in the use git for this project so this will give let you have some version control so even if you uh, if, if anything having version control and having some kind of uh of um of versioning in the project does mean that you are you, you don't have to be scared about destroying something so if something is working and you change it you refactor it and somewhere somehow down the line you realize that you actually did something wrong and you broke it you can always go back so version control offers you this uh but uh, the other thing that you should probably consider is using tests so make sure that you start adding tests to your application as soon as possible Uh, so we talked about this mod this this idea that you kind of start organizing making your code into bite-sized chunks that you can actually uh that are easier to manage, mm-hmm. so now take one of those chunks and make a test for it. Uh, test that is a really good platform for this for this uh, it can you can even start with very simple tests, so uh, it it doesn't need to be too complicated. but if you have a function that you know needs to return the number, this is already a test. So you can just write a test for this and uh, when you write enough tests, you're going to find problems with your function uh, (laughs) maybe maybe it's it doesn't handle null values well enough maybe it maybe it doesn't handle lists maybe it returns in a very specific case not the thing that you're looking for so having tests uh running them frequently if you if you even have the chance of adding these to your uh continuous integration pipelines even better so maybe maybe you can set something up where uh, even manually if if you're going to production and you have already deployed the first version maybe before you maybe you create a small checklist for you of all the things you want to do before deploying a new version running tests is one of them if the tests fail you just avoided yourself you just avoided a massive headache uh down the line uh yeah so basically uh break down the code right from the beginning start adding uh start adding tests start breaking down the 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 code into chunks uh i would even say that things like uh ui ux so uh, we talked about these these the all of these ui packages this this custom styling uh there's a there's a, a saying in portuguese that the eyes also eat (laughs) <laughs> uh which which means that uh when you're showing something as a poc as a proof of concept to to a decision maker they might enjoy the functionality but when you actually turn this into production and more people are going to look at it uh if they don't have to use your application and they don't have a good experience they're probably not going to use it yes so Making sure that you you use even simple things to get started, like VSlib, just to give it a little zazz, uh maybe some custom styling if if you have the chance. Uh making sure that people enjoy the experience, that their eyes are full, and uh and it's a it's an enjoyable thing, it's also good. And I think the last topic would probably be uh scaling. So Mm-hmm. If you build a POC in, in, and you show this to two or three people and they decide it, and the, there's a decision that this is very useful uh, and now they want to, to give it to the whole company to use. The whole company is a thousand people. How are you going to handle this? Uh, so this is where things like load testing. Uh, so how many resources does your application actually need? Uh, how many users can you have in a small server? These are things that packages like Shiny Load Test can give you some visibility on this. Uh, It also means that you can go to your IT department and say, I need a machine this big uh, with this amount of resources because I need this app for X amount of people. Uh, So this is also something that probably you probably shouldn't have to think about it, but it is something that as you go to production, it's still gonna be your project. You're probably still gonna be attached to it. So if something goes wrong, it's probably gonna be on you yes. to fix it. Right. So these are some of, some of the things that, if you start doing them from the beginning, uh, they really help. That's the key. Getting started the right, right way. It's not necessarily how
0: you finish. It's also how you start. It's not, it's very difficult to refactor something that's like a year, year and a half old to meet these principles if you didn't start with it already. And I know that from personal experience. My first app did compartmentalize certain things, but the logic behind it for what I call my first major production app uh, left a bit to be desired. And when I did a version three recently, I in essence ripped the whole thing out. And I did it from like, okay, this is what I know now, use modules, build in tests, build in UX from the start, using a nice dashboard package like BS4- build in interactive help menus just make that onboarding easier even if it's the case where my apps don't necessarily go quote viral in my company but when they are used in high profile situations they got to be reliable they got to be intuitive because there's leadership literally depending on the outputs of that as part of their decision making so it can be a little nerve-wracking but with the tooling that you just mentioned it doesn't have to be like a panic mode to switch to that uh, production level if you're thinking about those from the start.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would add uh, one last one, which is linting. So the way your code looks uh, is also important. Yes. And there are there are style guides for how the code uh, with different rules of how you could write the code. So this this goes to the level of where do you put the line break? How many spaces are between this and that? Right. Uh, there's already some. There, there's the tidyverse style guide, mm-hmm. which is actually what we use in Epsilon. Oh. Okay. Uh, this, there. Uh, the great thing is that there's also packages to help you with this. So you have lint R, for example, which uh, is just a package that you run in your in your uh, in in your uh, app folder. Uh, by default, it's running all the linters against the, the tidyverse style guide. It will tell you line by line which what thing needs to be changed. So if you, for example, didn't put a space between something. Uh, so uh, a common one is after a comma, there should always be a space. So if somewhere in your code you forgot this, uh, lintar will tell you, go there and put space there. Yes. Uh, if you have a very, very big code base, there's also Styler, which is, it's a dangerous button, but you only need to press it once. <laughs> uh, so Styler will, will go through your files and it will style as much as possible uh, without destroying the logic. So it's not gonna be 100%, uh, it's not gonna be, everything is gonna be solved when you run run Styler, uh, but it will solve a lot of the those initial cases where you run linter for the first time and there's 10,000 hits uh, because you're you didn't run it from the beginning and your app is already very big uh, this is one of those moments where you can run styler fix most of them uh, it does still take a bit of of uh, time to make sure that everything works but if you build tests then if your tests still pass and if you had enough tests this will Give you a good overview of Styler. Uh, Broke anything like that? Very
0: cool. Yeah, I need to start using those more often. I tried to write with a nice style in mind, but of course, there's always some shortcuts I take now and then. And it's great to have some packages kind of be that last automated check before you start saying a code is released and tagged for the uh, production deployment. Very,
1: very true. Um, for, for the for yeah. development, I think the the three main ones that. You can kind of consider as the bread and butter is DevTools, uh, test that and use this. Yes. Uh, all of these together are—they all have some way of of um, of running some more automated checks. Uh, these are also things that if you if you have some some CI some continuous integration uh, pipelines, uh, these can also be added there. Uh, but for, for your everyday project, I don't think there's, there's a need for that, but just having DevTools and being able to do DevTools tests or DevTools, tools I mean, this is already a good start. Very
0: good. Yeah, this is great advice, especially those that are still looking to make that leap into making more uh, production, great apps. And, um, I always like to end our conversations with uh, more general Um, question about maybe what advice do you have on top of the great development advice you just mentioned for maybe those in our audience that are kind of honing their shiny skills and data science skills, and maybe they want to look to find or get themselves ready to find um, a a career in developing maybe shiny apps or developing data science products. Um, From your perspective, what kind of advice do you have for those that are kind of looking to get into this field?
1: Uh, I would just say start doing (laughs) so uh shiny is very easy to get into uh if you have an r background uh you're going to be familiar with a lot of these uh if you come from any other uh, programming background a lot of the stuff is going to look very familiar Mm -hmm. Uh, i do recommend mastering shiny as as your first book to read because it, it really gives you like a really nice insight on how on on all the things that make shiny uh, that that make make shiny useful in some way or, or another. Uh, it's a great book uh, from the shiny contest I was I actually got to ask for a book. This is the book that I asked for very nice uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, still on my shelf um, and it's one of the the definitely the the one I recommend the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is. Uh, remember that services like shiny Apps.io exist so if you have a small application that you build and you want to kind of get some feedback maybe test out how the, the how the app would behave on the internet uh sure. you don't need to completely build a server from scratch and go through all of that uh shiny apps.io has a free tier you can make an make an account there test it out you'll see um You'll you'll have a better feeling of what what goes into uh, deploying a shiny application, and it also gives you a nice uh, nice introduction to things like uh, RStudio Connect. So it's it's actually a very similar experience. So if you can do it in one, you can probably do it in the other one. Right. Um, yeah. And in general, I think just start. Testing. uh, Start playing around with different packages. Maybe take a look at the tidyverse when you when you start getting more familiar with R. Uh, These are going to be the bread and butter. That uh, so shiny as a package has a lot of functions, but it's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to actually doing something with the data and actually doing something on the server side. Right. Uh, There's a very nice curated set of packages in the tidyverse. Uh, I definitely recommend. Going through all of them, even though it's a few of them, uh, this has actually been my 2021 uh, resolution. I just pick a package and I get really deep into it. Um, this should give you a really strong base, and then um, yeah, I think that's mostly it. Just trial and error. If you find uh, if you find something that stumps you, our uh, studio community forums, uh, Reddit, Twitter. There's a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, great places online to find tutorials on this. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's great advice. And again, a lot of this tooling, some of it was is here before shiny. Of course, of course, R itself was here before shiny, but a lot of the narrative around kind of tying all this together is a relatively new thing. And that's one of the reasons I started this developer series was to spotlight a lot of these and the people making these resources, making these packages. And it's been kind of a mini crusade on my part to say that, okay, well, with this data science-like product that we're being asked to do, we don't have to do a custom Node.js React, you know, huge solution. Shiny, if we have a team that's already doing data science with R, this is production worthy. And everything you just mentioned is a great way to get, get to that step. And I've shared some candid thoughts about that in other episodes, I'll save it for another time. But it's um, definitely something that I think there's a lot of momentum, especially in the industry I'm in, to harness these, these tools to our advantage. Um, so this is this has been a really fun conversation. The time has just flown by with you, uh, Pedro. Um, but for those that want to keep up with your uh, developments in the in the R community, in the Shiny community, uh, what's the best place for them to reach and follow
1: you? Uh, I think Twitter is, is the best. Uh, cool. I don't usually post very much, uh, but uh, any anything big will probably be there. Uh, I also have a website if you'd like to check uh, old webinars, blog posts, That kind of stuff Uh, this would also this will also be on on the twitter page so you can easily find it right uh then in general if you if you have any questions any ideas you can probably reach out through through twitter i will uh, i will do my best to 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 answer um yeah sounds Uh, great i think that that's mostly it All right. Well, I really thanks
0: for your time right after work. We got you right to work again on this great conversation. So I definitely appreciate your, your accommodating us. And um, before we wrap up, just to remind everybody that you can find all the past episodes of the Shiny Developer Series on the YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash Shiny Developer Series. And I've done a little bit of organization since the last time I did one of these episodes where now we have dedicated playlists, to the interviews much like what we're seeing here with pedro you can click the back catalog and speaking of mastering shiny we did talk with hadley on episode 19 about the book highly recommend to view that along with all the other great content and some of you may know i've been doing a little live streaming on twitch of uh, my shiny exploits sometimes some uh, interesting development uh, uh adventures and that's all the vods of that are also on this playlist as well and Details show notes are at shinydevseries.com, where we have obviously each of the episodes linked directly here, where you get all the links that we mentioned in each of the episodes. And obviously, this conversation will have all the links that Pedro mentioned as well um, throughout the conversation. So that will wrap it up for us. Again, my thanks to Pedro for joining me today. And um, definitely keep in Thank touch, uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel. Um, You can follow the Shiny Dev Series account on Twitter, as well as my account, at the Rcast, for show updates and much more content coming along the way. So we will end there, and thanks for joining, everybody, and we will see you next time. Thank you.